you got 30 seconds, you want to be a better runner, get better electrolytes, go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run, get a free sample pack, six different flavors sent to you, only $5 shipping. I'll refund your money if you don't like it. Electrolytes without the junk, no sugar. It's great. Try it out now. You can check out on your phone, literally 30 seconds. And while you're on your phone, sign up for the supporters club. Let's run.com slash subscribe. Become a Let's Run.com VIP today. Save 20% on running shoes. Get an extra podcast every week. Subscription pays for itself. We've got a jam-packed Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast today. The biggest weekend in the history of U.S. marathoning is in the books. Ruth Chepengedich, she blew up big time in Chicago, but she's still your champion. Emma Bates was brilliant in second place. Sifa Tura took down Galen Rupp, but Galen Rupp is back. We went to Boston the next day, where C.J. Albertson entertained before Vincent Capruto got the win and Diana Kipioke took down the woman's crown. Shailene Flanagan completed her Chicago-Boston double and I'm sure Robert will want you to know Jordan Truff completed the Baltimore-Chicago-Boston triple. We've got some sad news as world cross-country champion Agnes Tirep has been tragically murdered in Kenya and Mary Kane has sued Nike for $20 million dollars Plus, we might get a little Patriots-Cowboys football preview. You never know what you're going to hear on the Let's Run.com podcast. I'm Weldon Johnson, co-founder of Let's Run.com, the fastest guy on the podcast, joined by the wonderful Jonathan Galtz and the one and only Rojo. Welcome, guys. Hi, Weldon. I find it interesting that Robert always takes great pains to mention that you two are genetic equals, and you just introduce yourself as the fastest guy on the podcast, which you are. Fake news, fake news. John, I think you would beat Weldon in a race right now, without a doubt. So I think you're the fastest guy on the podcast. Weldon has been faster in previous years, of course. And speaking of which, that brings me to sad news for my own self. I was very pumped today, so excited to be on the podcast. My son's two-week quarantine from school is over, COVID quarantine. I can actually get back to work. Focus on this. I was pumped to do the podcast. And I was listening to the intro, listening to every word, and I kept waiting. Kept waiting. Kept waiting. No. Totally devastated. Robert Johnson goes home devastated. Folks, the 20-year anniversary of the greatest athletic moment of my life has come and gone, and there's been nothing on the website. October 7, 2001, Catherine Indorabis set the world record in Chicago. I was in front of her for at least half that race. Weldon's known for pacing Kath Paula Radcliffe. For someone, no one, no one pays attention to little Rojo. I didn't even run in high school. Barely ran, didn't run in college. And I was part of history. No acknowledgement. I thought you guys would get a VHS, HS, VHS tape of the race, translate it to a DVD, put it up on the page, give me a black page, something. Nothing. Not even a mention in the intro. Are we going to mention the guy who Ruth Chepengedich dropped? 
I don't even know what, like 10K into the race, the male pacer. We can start there, maybe. Chicago was crazy. She went out at, what's the 10K split? 31-22. She was on 2-12 pace through 10K. For those of you guys who don't know, 31-15 is five minutes per 1,600. That's crazy. They flash to the screen, and I've never seen this. She's ahead of the second group of elite American men. Chris Derrick is behind an NCAA champion, a USA cross-country champion. Uh, Chris Derrick was very famously not an NCAA champion. Well, then. Oh, that was a correction. Did you hear that? It's actually a correction, but I didn't need to, I was just, I realized that I'm like, oh, wait. So I went USA cross-country champion. But this guy is a 27-minute 10K runner, or used to be, struggling of late, is behind Ruth Chepengedich. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, we took screenshots? We're like, we have to document this. But it just shows the level of running. They had a huge tailwind then at that point. And she blew up pretty big time the second half. But what did we say before the race? Boston, excuse me, Chicago was not very deep. And that proved to be the case because there wasn't really nobody behind her. Emma Bates is back. She had some struggles. Documented... I wanted to have her on the podcast last year after the marathon project. She was just very raw and emotional after that race Had a 10 post Instagram tribute to that race where she said, look, we can't just document our great races. We've got to document the struggles, but I think that helped her there. Cause look, she's like from the gun, I didn't feel well. And she battled it out. Still ran what? two twenty five there. In Chicago, she ran two twenty four twenty. No. In- Marathon project. Yeah, 225.40, she was fourth. I only can think that experience helped her because she learned how to run well in a marathon when things aren't going well. And in Chicago, it was much hotter than I thought it was going to be when you sign up for it. And she toughed it out and somehow ran a negative split in those conditions when they had a tailwind for the first quarter of the race. So tremendous run for her to get second place. Sarah Hall holds on for third. Not a good run for her, but you're still third at a world marathon major, so it's not the worst performance in the world. I thought Emma Bates, that was a fantastic run for her. 224.20, doing a lot of the running. She ran on her own for a good chunk. I mean, she had people to chase down, but she kind of decided to do her own race and was hanging back at halfway. She was in sixth place. It's not like she was nowhere, but... She came across in 72-27. She was 13 seconds behind the person in front of her, and she was 45 seconds ahead of the person behind her. So she admitted, like she said, I'm going to do my own thing. And then she realized, oh, I might be quite a bit behind the people in front of me. I should probably pick it up. And she did, and she started rolling people. I wouldn't say this performance was a total surprise, she finished top 10 at the trials. She was fourth in Chicago in 2019. And she's gotten better since then, since joining coach Joe Bossard. I thought it was very cool that her teammates, they all came out to Chicago to watch her in person. I mean, how many people would do that for a marathon teammate fly from Colorado to Chicago, just to watch one person, see them a couple of times on the course and then celebrate with them afterwards. I thought that was awesome. But yeah. She ran great. Sarah Hall didn't run that well, but, toughed it out on you know in conditions that she doesn't enjoy running in i I have a lot of respect for her 
I think if it was a better conditions, she would have run a lot faster. And I don't know if she would have been able to break Dina Cass's record, but she said her training had been going well enough to think that. And then Kira D'Amato in fourth, I think that was pretty solid, 228-22. I mean, these aren't performances that would normally get second, third, fourth in a world marathon major, but I thought Bates was terrific. Bates wasn't a total surprise. I did say in this Friday 15 or Supporters Club only podcast, if you want to get a second podcast every week, you need to join the Supporters Club, let'srun.com slash subscribe, that I thought Emma would be the first American. And the team boss support is super cool. I mean, it's a very supportive group. I thought that was great that they all came out. We're biking on the course to support her. I mean, that that's what you want from your teammates because being a professional distance runner can be very lonely. College runners out there, high school runners, you don't know how good you have it. You have teammates. You have a bigger cause than yourself. As Galen Rupp even said after Chicago, running can be a very selfish sport. I mean, it's just you putting in the miles. A lot of times you're away from your family. I mean, that's one of the reasons we started Let's Run.com. I'm like, wait, I'm just running for myself? Like, what else can I do? I want to spread running knowledge. I want people to be able to talk about running. So great job by Team Boss there. And they haven't had a marathoner before, right, John? Uh, Laura Thweet trains with them. So she, she's a pretty solid marathoner as well. I will say this, though. Chicago is fortunate that Ruth Chepengedich hung on to win this race because she said coming in, you know, she dropped out of the Olympics. She said coming in, it sounded like she was battling an injury. It was a little hard to tell from the press conference. She wasn't totally clear, but she had doubts that she was going to be able to win this race. And if she drops out and Emma Bates wins this in 224 and then next next is Sarah Hall in 227, I think you do have to kind of attach a huge asterisk to this because the two other international top international athletes Chicago brought in went out a little too hard and, and ended up blowing up and not running that well. So with Chep and winning, that's a legitimate champion. You can't say like, Oh man, this is a joke. But if like, could you imagine if she dropped out and Emma Bates won this thing in two twenty four? That'd have been great, John. Sarah Sellers could have been your Boston marathon champ a couple years ago too. <laughs> Give us stuff to talk about, John. I realize now the more I get into this, the media world, you don't always have to have the most pure athletic performance to have something to talk about. We should have written all the clickbait articles, right? Seven American women in the top 10 at Chicago, you know, heralding the golden days of American female distance running. Rojo, any takes on the women's race or should we move on to the men? Well, I would like to make a small correction. Weldon said there was no one else behind her. That's not true. I, I thought that I just don't know what some of these women are doing. Like Vivian Kipagat was there. She, she went out in 68-50. Um, and it just, the contrast between both of these women blowing up. I mean, Kipagat ended up running 229. She was over 71 minutes. I mean, she was over 80 minutes in the second half, right? Yep. Uh, I, I just, I don't know what they're doing. Like the contrast to me, to the men's race. Where Seifutura sort of arrives. I couldn't tell you who he was before this. Um, if you'd asked me last week who's Seifutura, I would have said I have no idea. John, what were his credentials? Well, Chicago Marathon champion, Robert. But <laughs> he won the Prague Marathon this year, which was the battle of the teams thing. So his time there was... No, only- no, no. 
you're com- you're confusing him with Benson Kiprudo, the Boston Marathon champion who was similarly unheralded. I mean, look, yeah, I follow the professional sport. I wouldn't have been able to tell you Seifu Tura at the start of last week. Like he he's posted, he, he's a 206 guy. Sorry, he'd run 204 in Dubai in 2018. But that put him seventh in that race. Most people don't know the seventh place are in Dubai. Like he won Milan and Shanghai in 2018. Again, most people can't name the winners of the Milan and Shanghai marathons, except for this year. Milan was quite fast with, you know, Titus Akiru. But it's not like this guy was like, oh, he's a can't miss marathon talent. You know, he's a decent runner who, in a year with watered down major marathons, won one of the more watered down fields in Chicago. Congrats to him. Good effort. But is he one of the very best top guys in the world? No. Let's run nation. I'm not a total fraud. I think it's acceptable when you have two marathon majors back to back to confuse the winners. I don't know. If I need to go on suspension, let me know. Well, it's interesting what what we're talking about him being the winner because on the podcast, maybe it was the bonus podcast on Friday, the Friday 15. I was like, look, if Rupp wins, Galen Rupp wins this men's race, we got to give him props because there's a lot of guys that run 205, 204 this year in this field. So he's going to have to beat some good runners. But then when I was making my picks for the prediction contest on set on Sunday, uh, Saturday morning, Sunday morning, excuse me, I was like looking up everyone's results database. And I thought, wait a minute, I need to make a correction to this. I'm like, is Rupp really going to, going to lose to some of these guys were like, 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 like the winner, uh, Tura was fourth in Milan this year. I'm like, is Rupp, do we really expect him to lose to the guy that's fourth in Milan? Now, Milan was stacked this year, 204, 29 is fourth. I'm like, no, Rupp's going to beat that guy. He's better than the fourth placer in Milan, I would assume. So, you know, it was kind of interesting on that front. But originally, I brought up the um, Rupp and the men's race because I was trying to make one last point about the women's race. Like, Galen Rupp, the way he paces himself is so smart. I don't understand why these women, like, if, if I'm in the women's race, you know, and Chep and Geddes goes out and it's a shallow field, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to let her be stupid. Like, she's going out in 212 pace? Let her go. Why am I going out in 217 pace? I mean, I guess maybe there's some time bonuses, but I would have just held back and run with Sarah Hall and then tried to beat her at the end. Instead, you blow up and you end up, you know, way off what, what you could have done. So just the way, the stupidity of the way some of these people ran these races was contrasted to Galen Rupp. So the men's race goes off. Rupp is dropped at the beginning, and then he catches up to the lead pack. He's very good at knowing what he's got in the tank. He catches the thing, catches the group, and I'm like, when he caught that group, I'm like, he's probably going to win this race. Now, he ended up getting second, but I really thought this was a huge performance for Galen Rupp. I thought it was a brilliant run by him, and I don't think that – I'm not sure – if we give this guy enough credit, he he can run his own race. He's competitive in the majors. He's still by far America's best distance runner at the long distances. Yeah. Well, look at the rest of the Americans. Honestly, the rest of the Americans ran pretty crappy in this race. 213, 31 was the second American. I know it was windy, but a woman ran 214.04 in this race the last time it was run. And you've got two, two American men's outside of Galen Rupp running 213. Well, let's talk about that. What do we think that the course is worth? It was very windy. 15 mile an hour winds, gusts up to 30. Definitely warmer than normal. I mean, coming into the race, John Kellogg thought maybe a minute and a half for the warmth and a minute and a half for the wind. 
because yes, it's a loop course, but he's like, when you run into the wind, you're getting it's 1.6 times as hard as when you're getting the wind behind you. It's just not as helpful. It's harder to run into the wind than it is to be pushed by the wind. Um, so he thought it would be three minutes, at least three minutes slower than normal. Now, Rupp runs 206.35. Maybe. So maybe he's maybe it's not ninety seconds for each. Maybe it's a minute minute for each. So two minutes, two or four thirty five. I definitely think this course was slow. So how many slow? You want to take off two minutes? So those two thirteen Americans run two eleven. What do you guys think? That might be fair. I mean, Rupp's personal best is two oh six oh seven, and he ran two oh six thirty five. So two minutes. I mean, I don't know if it was two minutes. I think ninety seconds might be fair. Those other guys running two thirteen, I would expect the first non rup guy to be somewhere around two ten, two eleven. So I could see three minutes. I think Rupp's a two oh four, two oh five marathoner. Still, he's never done it, but it's very hard to do. And I found it interesting because everyone's like Galen Rupp is back. The guy was eighth place at the Olympics and looked pretty good for much of that race, and ended up I think about three minutes behind Elie Kipchoge, which isn't terrible. Yeah, I'm looking it up. 303 behind Kipchoge, a minute 43 behind silver silver medal. So I didn't think the Olympics was a terrible run, but I think to get second in a major, to contend all the way to the end, I think Galen said beforehand, I'd, I would love to have the American record, but it's about competing. And I think the fact he could be competitive all the way to the end to this race meant so much more. And there was a short turnaround after the Olympics. How fast do we think Rob can go? I mean, I, I said it in the post-race analysis. This is definitely equivalent to the American record. Now, the super shoes change everything. You're saying he's a 204 guy. I think he's probably 203. And let me, hear me out on this. Because Ryan Hall ran 206.17. We'll all admit that Galen Rupp's a better marathoner than Ryan Hall, correct? So 206.17, super shoes are worth two minutes. That's 204.17. Give him 20 seconds and you're 203 high. So I I think the American record, he needs to get it. What do you think is next for him? Will he the, the obvious thing would be to go to Boston, get the money, etc. But should he try something else? Should he go to a Tokyo, etc. With the super shoes, hell, we'll get into this in a minute. Sounds like you can run more than two marathons a year. Shit, you can run two marathons in a weekend. No, he does. He's not going to go to Tokyo. He, he'll go to Boston. He'll try to win Boston, and then in the fall, I think he'll come back in Chicago, and they'll bill it as an American record attempt. And he's going to try to wait, regain the title he won in twenty seventeen. So no worlds, Eugene, twenty twenty two, John. I I guess it depends what he values. Like he, that's intriguing. And if he runs worlds, could he run Boston in April and then worlds in July? suppose that's possible. It's three months. He just came back and got second after nine weeks from the Olympics. So maybe he does Maybe he does do the world championships. If he wants to win a world championship gold medal, do it at the University of Oregon. That's an intriguing idea. Hell, and then maybe he runs Chicago. Maybe he runs three marathons next year. Yeah, it's the big question because what does being the world champion in Eugene mean to you? You would have a chance, I think, in that race. The weather would be iffy, ideally hot, so it's not going to be American record most likely. So does that 
throw away any chance at American record. But if you're world champion, you'd be rather you'd rather be world champion than American record holder, right? No, I would say in almost every event, yes. But in the marathon, it's just marathon world champion isn't the same as being a world champion on the track. I'd rather be the American record holder in any event than world champion. Period. Oh, I disagree. You wait. What or what about what about American record holder, holder or, or Olympic champion? Olympic champion. Wait, I'm just oh, hold on. So you're saying like. Matthew, I'm trying. You'd rather have an American record than be world champion? I think that's absurd, Robert. In the marathon, okay. I said any event. I'm wrong about that. Definitely in the yeah. marathon. Yeah. So before this year, you'd rather be Courtney Frerichs than Emma Coburn. No, I'd rather be Emma Coburn. And I'd, would I rather be like Faith Kip Yagon or? Shelby Houlihan in the fifteen hundred, or rather be Faith Kipiegon. So, well, Faith Kipiegon's, yeah, but she's also faster than Shelby as well. Like she's better in all aspects. I wanted to push back on Robert's point though about all these other women running stupid. Like you said, Vivian Kiplagat, who was who faded badly in the second half of this race, blew, like ran terribly. Okay, she went out in sixty eight fifty, which admittedly is is very fast. You know, that's sub two eighteen pace, but like. You're saying, oh, if she just run evenly with Saren Hall, she could have won this race. Well, we, she doesn't know what Ruth Chepengedich is going to run. All she knows, for all she knows, Ruth Chepengedich is going to go out and run 216. Maybe she has to run that to win. Like, you know, and also for a woman who ran 221 last year, 68.50, it's not totally, it's quick. I don't know if it, maybe in the conditions it was too fast. I just, I don't know. I think saying, oh, she just run, sort of hung back and run with Sarah Hall, who came through in 71.37. I think it's easy to say now, knowing how the race played out, but it's tougher to say in the moment. Yeah, and a lot of that first half was was wind aided. And by the way, folks, I am the weather expert. Everybody knows that. I felt great personal satisfaction when midway through the race, I tweeted out and I tagged uh, Paul Swangard and Kara Goucher, who are doing the broadcast for NBCSN. I was like, please comment on the wind instead of the temperature, because the wind is having a bigger impact on the times, particularly mile by mile, than the temperature, and then lo and behold, like five minutes later, they're talking about the wind because it was very, very windy. I, I'm probably going to write another article, maybe like looking back at both marathons, just adding a few tidbits. And John, one of your Dartmouth alums, Dina Gina Dorno, um, she had a tweet out. She was on the course on the side about how windy it was. I mean, it was just like you could hear the wind just like blasting her in the background. So, yeah, Dana Giordano. Actually, she had another tweet that I want to talk about in a second. But Robert, you were. I'm not going to give you credit for this correction because you tagged Paul Swangard in the broadcast and then they said it on the broadcast. I don't know if you saw Paul Swangard responded to you and he said, Rojo, don't want to burst your bubble, but we aren't reacting to your tweets in real time on the broadcast. Agree, wind was a factor and we brought it into the broadcast a little later than we should have. What a strange coincidence then. So he responded after the race. He, that means he went to the message board, saw that I bragged about no, it. No, no, he tagged him on Twitter. So he saw that you mentioned him on Twitter. Though I will say, maybe it's look, maybe it's possible. One of the NBC Sports research people was monitoring Twitter and saw that and let them know that could be possible. But he's not on his phone. Like tagging him and Kara Goucher during a race, I don't think is normally going to work. I've texted announcers during races and helped them out before. And 
John, I hear a lot of stuff in your previous press conferences during broadcast. I feel like sometimes it should be a little more attributed. But hey, we're doing our part to make the sport a little more informed. But yeah, we're not on TV, so there's only so much we can do. Well, I forgot which. I think it was Boston. Somebody on the forum said that they were they were talking about let's run uh, on the I think Austrian or South African or some broadcast. They did mention this, so thank you for giving credit to where credit is due. Can we talk about this other th- crazy thing that Dana tweeted out from Chicago? One of the wildest things I've ever seen in a marathon. Ian Butler, a two hundred nine guy who's hyped up to be one of the best Americans in the field, other than Galen Rupp. Early in the race, he was one of the few people to actually run out, run aggressively. He's running backwards. He he was in no man's land, no one to run with. He went through in fifteen twenty. I guess this was before five k because he was with the pack at that point. But in the first couple of miles, he was on his own. And then instead of just stopping, or instead of continuing to run and let the pack chase him, he actually turned around and had to run more than twenty six point two miles in this marathon. The video is crazy. I can't ever remember seeing anything like this from an elite runner, literally running backwards for maybe like 20 meters to join a pack. I'm not sure if John did a good job of describing that. This 209 marathoner turned around and ran in the wrong direction to catch the second pack and then turned around and started running with them. It was, John. It still is the craziest thing I've ever seen in a race. People are saying I'm I'm overstating that. No, no. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, We've got it. I think you're going to reach out to him and try to figure out why he did this. It doesn't make any sense. Just slow down. But I love it. And it's just got me thinking about what we've seen some. Well, did you guys agree with me that this is the craziest thing we've ever seen in a marathon? I mean, there's some other amazing things. People were pushing back on the message board when people were discussing this. They said, Rojo, you're wrong. Remember the 2004 Olympics when, a guy dressed as a priest came out and tackled one of the medalists. Paula Radcliffe famously urinated in the middle of the road when she won the 2005 London Marathon. I think she did more than urinate, Robert. It was on the side of the road, by the way. Paula wasn't the first one to do that. Back in 1996 Boston Marathon, Uta Pippik had both her period and diarrhea coming out of her pants. She won Boston. Steve Jones apparently, according to a message board, this wasn't the Let's Run message board, won the 1985 London Marathon after stopping for a comfort break at the London Tower. I don't know if he went into the London Tower or just on the side of the road. What else has we've seen that's crazy? Okay, from Robert's litany of crazy incidents and marathons, bathroom breaks clearly do not qualify because they're quite common. The guy coming out at the 2004 Olympics and tackling the leader was was pretty crazy, but you can see someone disrupting a marathon. Now, the Olympic marathon, it was pretty shocking. Leader late in the race? I don't know. As for Ian Butler running backwards, he has an Instagram post. I loved it. He said, yes, I did run back to join the second group. I've never been known to be the smartest runner, and I needed people to find people and a smart pace. I thought that was cool. And then also... Who are we praising earlier? Joe Bossard's group. And he says, thank you for everyone who cheered for me and encouraged me throughout the race. I'm still shocked by the number of people who knew who I was. The big shout out goes to Joe Bossard and his crew. No offense to anybody else. I will always appreciate anyone who comes up to me and cheers for me at these events. 
it's truly unbelievable to hear my name. But Joe Bossert, Emma Coburn, Aisha Pratt-Lear, and Dom Scott went crazy out there, and I love that crew for the energy they bring. I will never drop out of a marathon, injuries, of course, being an exception. So I thought that was a great tweet, and it just shows the camaraderie in the U.S. running world because Ian runs for Adidas. None of those other athletes run for Adidas. Well, I guess Dom Scott does, right? Or she used to at some point. Just great, great support. And he explains why he ran backwards. And now he's back to student teaching. He was at the pre-race press conference. This guy is blue collar. He's teaching all day, running in the morning before work, running at night after work. Sometimes he says he doesn't see sunlight. That'll probably be for sure the case in the winter. Okay. The craziest thing that's ever happened in a marathon, Ian Butler, that was that was definitely up there. I still think that Vondelay de Lima getting tackled by a guy in a you know kilt at the 2004 Olympic marathon while leading the marathon on late in the race. That is the craziest thing I've ever seen in a marathon. I don't think that's ever going to be topped. But do you guys know about the 1904 Olympic marathon in St. Louis? Have you heard about this race? I have. I feel like there was like some boozing going on or something or like some drugs. I can't remember. They'd take shots along the course or I think then somebody then took a ride to the finish or some something on top of that, in addition to the drinking. I'm just going to quote from the Wikipedia page because there are multiple. This is the most insane event I've ever heard about in the world of running. This was August 30th, 1904. The race started at 3 p.m. The temperature was in the 90s in St. Louis. It's just a miserable conditions for doing a marathon. So the first guy across the finish line, his name was Fred Laws. After being, this is all, all this is from Wikipedia. After being held as the winner, he had his photo taken with Alice Roosevelt, daughter of then president Theodore Roosevelt, was about to be awarded the gold medal when his subterfuge was revealed. So he had actually hitched a ride back to the stadium in a car. And then upon being a confront, he pulled a Rosie Ruiz and then being confronted by officials, he immediately admitted that he had cheated, but then the AAU still banned him for life, reduced the ban for a year. Okay. So the winner in a time of three hours, 28 minutes and 53 seconds for a 24.85 mile course was Thomas Hicks of the United States. Although he was aided by measures that would not have been permitted in later years, 10 miles from the finish, Hicks led the race by a mile and a half, but he had to be restrained from stopping and lying down by his trainers. From then until the end of the race, Hicks received several doses of strychnine, a common rat poison which stimulates the nervous system in small doses, mixed with brandy. He continued to battle onwards, hallucinating, barely able to walk for most of the course. When he reached the stadium, his support team carried him over the line, holding him in the air while he shuffled his feet as if still running. Hicks had to be carried off the track and might have died in the stadium had he not been treated by several doctors, he lost eight pounds during the course of the race. And then just one more thing on this race. Another near fatality during the race was William Garcia of the United States. He was found lying in the road along the marathon course with several internal injuries caused by breathing in the clouds of dust kicked up by the race official's car. Postman Andrew Carvajal joined the marathon, arriving at the last minute. After lo- losing all of his marathon in lo- New Orleans, he hit, sorry, after losing all of his money in New Orleans, he hitchhiked to St. Louis and had to run the event in street clothes that he cut around the legs to make them look like shorts. Not having eaten in 40 hours, he stopped off in an orchard en route to have a snack on some apples, which turned out to be rotten. 
The rotten apples caused him to have strong stomach cramps and to have to lie down and take a nap. Despite falling ill from the apples and taking a nap, he finished in fourth place. Wow, so much to unpack there. People say that modern society has never been more corrupt and polluted. Find out in 1906, people were doping. These coaches were, they were the Albertos of their time, trying yes. to find an edge. Rat poison is one man's... Pollution in the cars. And apparently the organics, the, 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 the apples were already rotten, just coming off the trees. Well, the most crazy thing here, four years later in London, Durando Petri of Italy was disqualified because he had received help across the finish line. But they're saying four years earlier, the winner of this race was carried across the finish line and he still got the gold medal. So... I mean, marathoning back in 100 years ago, 120 years ago, is just the Wild West. It's crazy. Butler running backwards may not have been the only thing that I've never seen before in a marathon. When the race ended, I mean, Galen Rupp was pumped, and deservedly so, because he ran amazing. I mean, so smart, so tough. But, you know, he's embraced at the finish line by Kerry Pankowski, the race director. And they have a big embrace. They're sharing words with each other. And it goes on for quite some time. And then before they sort of part, Rupp gives Kowski a kiss on the cheek. I've never seen this before. A athlete kissed the race director. Hey, it's a good thing Penkowski was a male because if it's a woman, Gail Rupp may have been canceled for sexual harassment or something like that. But um, so it was kind of just, you know, not what you see at your average race. I've never seen that before. Have you guys? And But it actually, when I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what? This could actually be meaningful. And in the sense of, I've always wondered why Rupp's never gone to Chicago. I mean, excuse me, New York. I mean, Salazar made his name in New York. I know Rupp's dad's from the Chicago area, etc. But he's never really gone for the American record. People go, like, oh, Chicago's fast. But I'm like, well, he's never been, seems to be focused on the American record. He always goes to Chicago. And then I see this. And I'm like, look, he's obviously very good friends with Kerry Pankowski. And they have, you know, a friendship. And that could be meaningful as to why he goes to Chicago and not New York. What do you guys think of that theory? It makes sense. But Chicago probably treats him very well, like financially. And then Kerry's nice to him. And yeah, there's like a friendship there. So they're, they're somewhat related, right? Kerry's a nice guy. He probably treats his top athletes well. I, I think that personal relationship can mean stuff. But if New York paid him $250,000 to show up, he's running New York. There's one thing that you guys, the, the most obvious thing you guys are overlooking here. Chicago is a Nike race. Nike had a bunch of their athletes in town. Cole Hawker's in town. Raven Rogers is in town. I think, I think Mo was in town. Galen Rupp is their biggest male athlete on the distance side. They want him running their race, and he likes getting paid by Nike, so he runs Chicago every year. I think that's the simplest explanation. So you think there's like a bigger Nike bonus to run Chicago, or do you think Nike like enhances the appearance fee somehow for Chicago? Because if we look to Boston, John, what did you guys see at the finish? I saw two Adidas athletes, and Boston is an Adidas race. So I wonder if behind the scenes – there are the shoe companies somehow influencing the appearance fees. What they just steer their athlete. They, they, there is a connection. They sponsor the race. They steer some of their athletes to this race because 
It's an Adidas race. You want Adidas athletes crossing the finish line, just like Nike wants Nike athletes crossing the finish line in Chicago. And that's what they got. Like, obviously, clearly there's a connection there. But why? If you're a Nike athlete, wouldn't you want your athlete to win the Adidas race just to prove them both? Hey, seems like you'd want to win every race. Yeah, but then you get all the finish line pictures and it's the Nike guy, but you got Adidas on the left and right of him. I mean, if he wins Chicago, you can just use everything from there as a, as a Nike thing. So, yeah, I don't know if Nike directly affects the how they affect the Chicago recruit elite budget or how that relationship works, but clearly that's one of the factors here and it's one of the factors why you get a lot of boston adidas athletes running boston every year or do you think like behind the scenes like if you're nike and you win adidas like nope sorry you can't use that in promotional stuff it's from the race but if you if you're nike and you want a nike race they're like yeah go ahead you can use it for whatever you want I don't know. I'd have to talk to someone from Nike or Adidas to figure out how all this stuff works. But my, my, I think the primary reason Rep runs Chicago is because it's a Nike race. Speaking of sponsors and races, I saw on like Instagram or Twitter, some guy ran. I'm pretty sure it was was it Boston or Chicago in the Let's Run.com t-shirt. If you want your t-shirt, go to shop.letsrun.com. But I think we're gonna have to have official club records for the t-shirts. Now, I guess we, we, we need to define what is for the shirt or supporters club members. I guess they can be separate. The actual – we'll have shirt records and supporters club members. Des Linden didn't have her best race. She's a supporters club member. But, she, you know, one of our supporters club members has – we have the 50K world record in our club right now. I mean, American world record. No, right in. So Des, probably this was the fastest marathon probably by a supporters club member. I'm not sure what the guy ran in the shirt, but remember, you get a free shirt if you win a race of more than what twenty people in it with while wearing the shirt. So go do that now. And I guess I'll throw it out there: if you win the Boston or Chicago marathons while wearing the singlet, I will put gold bars worth twenty thousand dollars when I give you your shirt. So there it is. Throwing that out there. You got to wear the singlet the whole race, though. If you want a singlet, we'll we'll get a sponsor to have a singlet for you. Well, if they win the Boston Marathon and the Cotton Let's Run shirt, I think that offer should also stand well. Then doesn't just have to be the singlet. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Let's turn our attention to Boston. Okay, okay. Chicago ends. We finished the recap. The races start at eight thirty. I'm always trying to finish it by one p.m. so I can watch the NFL kickoffs, and it never happens. It's always about halftime. And thankfully, John's Patriots came back to win that game. I didn't want John to be in a bad mood on Monday. We recover. Wake up Monday. Boston Marathon goes off. And when it's all said and done, although I didn't get to see the breakaways on NBCSN, I want to congratulate them. I'm missing both the men's and women's breakaways. They were at the commercial break when the women did their break. And then when they came back from commercial, they had to do the replay to show the women's break. And then the men happened to be making the break at the exact same time. So we missed both breaks. But when it's all said and done, Benson Caputo wins the men's race 209.51. Blasted from like 1409 or something from 35 to 40K. Now some of that's downhill. But he runs a good second half. He goes um, 209.51 for the win. And then Diana Kipyoke runs 224.45 for the women's win. With a 70-minute second half. And 
I don't know. What'd you guys think of this? I found, like, I find Boston, and I guess Chicago too. Without the rabbits and these pacing, it's much more interesting to watch. I, I had my complaints about the TV coverage, but it's actually fascinating to watch these races because there's so much intrigue. You got CJ Albertson going up. You've got Diana making the move, getting clear, getting caught by the world half marathon record holder, and then breaking away again. And there was just a lot of intrigue. It was fun to watch. I was just disappointed we couldn't watch it. And I don't understand why they start the wheelchair racers 30 minutes ahead. They should start the wheelchair racers, boom, and then start the elite man right after that, immediately after it. So there's like a, I've said this before, you need to have the one race finishing when the other elites are at halfway, at least 40 minutes away, no faster than 30K. Maybe they don't think there'll be a crowd at the finish line if they're that far apart, but it's impossible to watch. It drives me nuts. But it was actually pretty intriguing to watch if you were watching it. It was awesome. This is why Boston and these... I don't mind major marathons having pacemakers, but this is the argument for why you don't have pacemakers, is you never get something like what C.J. Albertson did, which made the first half of the marathon incredibly interesting to watch. Many of these majors, London or Berlin, you know, if I'm getting up to watch them, you can kind of just get up at halfway and you see, okay, here's where the lead pack came through. Nothing really happens. I guess in Chicago, that is an exception. Ruth Chepengedich went out extraordinarily fast, dropped her pacemaker. That was kind of fun to see how fast she was going. But normally, they just hit the pace that there is agreed on before the race. And this one, CJ Albertson, 213? That's a humongous lead halfway at a World Marathon Major event. Has anyone ever led by that much? Anyone in the World Marathon Majors era on the men's side? I have to think that's one of the largest halfway leads there's been in the World Marathon Majors era. Oh, good point, John. Since the World Marathon Majors has been branded, I'm pretty confident that's the biggest lead by a man in a race at halfway. Maybe even a woman. Oh, no. I, we just, mm, there's been some crazy women fast first halves, like Cosguy in 2019 Chicago. I'm not – oh, Paula Rat- – well, I guess that was – Paula was before the World Marathon Major in era. I'm not confident on the women, but for the men, I bet it's the biggest. It was fascinating. And he gets so many props because I saw him doing it. I'm like, okay, he's well known for running these insane sessions in training. He ran a 209 marathon in his treadmill last year. This guy's legit. He was seventh at the Olympic marathon trials. He's run 211. And he's known for doing sort of these some crazy feats. So I wasn't totally shocked when he was the guy out there. But to see his league get that big, I was like, once he got to halfway, I thought if he lost another 5K with that big of a lead, he was. I was like, he's going to win the race. They're just not going to be able to make up the ground. But he was very level-headed about it afterwards. Hearing him talk about it, he was like, look. I asked him, did you ever start to think about winning? And he's like, I was just trying to run my own race. You know, I knew those guys. They could rip off about four or five, four forties in a row. And then they're just, that's a lot of time to come back. He knew that he wasn't good. He's not a good hill runner uphill he says he thinks he's the best downhill runner in the world but uphills he knew he was going to give back some of that time but here's why his strategy works because he got 10th he ran to 11 and a lot of time i bet you guys be honest when he got passed on heartbreak hill were you you were thinking he was done right i was like this guy he's gonna blow up there's no way he's gonna do anything good right i'm seeing a nod from robert well then i'm assuming you think the same Oh, I thought for sure he was blowing up. Before he got caught, I started a thread, C.J. Albertson appreciation prediction thread. I'm not sure exactly how far in the race this was. 
and I sort of calculated if you ran like 16 flat pace, you'd still run like 211. And I'm like, well, that's not happening. I just thought, I'm like, he's going to blow up. And I'm like, will he finish? It was like 214, I said. He exceeded that. And then also right when they caught him, Kara was like, uh, are they going to go right by him or not? And then I, I chimed in right away. Like, I don't know what Kara's thinking. They're going to blow right by him. This thing's over. And they went right by him. But to his credit, once they got the tar- top of Heartbreak Hill, like he was just, he ran perfectly for him. I'm a good downhill runner. He was taking what he could on the uphills and then he just started running downhill, which is, it, it's a skill. Running downhill well is a skill and he has that skill. He took advantage. I was so shocked when I saw him again in second place because he had fallen behind the lead pack at the Boston Marathon after getting hot, caught. That doesn't happen. So great race plan. The craziest thing. So yeah, he kind of got, he was off the back a little bit for a few miles, but then he runs a 447 and a 444, I think, for miles 22 and 23, which those are downhill as well. But like right before Benson Kipruto made his winning move coming out of Cleveland Circle, who was right behind him in second place? It was CJ Albertson. I'm like, holy crap, how did he get up there again? So he was not the top American. That honor went to Colin Benny, so Massachusetts native. Congrats to him. But... C.J. Albertson, definitely the most entertaining runner in Boston on Monday. John, this is fake news. You're actually missing the true reason C.J. led the Boston Marathon. He did it so people on the Let's Run message boards would have something to talk about. This is C.J. Albertson talking to you after the race. FaceTime on the video there. I told us through the race, like, what was your strategy? Were you, were you thinking of taking the lead right away, or what were you thinking? Yeah, no, I wanted to give give your guys some message boards, something to talk about, so give you guys some hints. Yeah, so trying to help you guys out. You did it for Let's Run. Thank you, CJ. Thank you. Appreciate it. Further proof, every pro goes to Let's Run.com. At least he admits it. At least he admits it. Uh, unfortunately, he next he then said that he was joking and that his you know he explained the strategy more thoroughly. But again, sometimes you see these guys with huge leads. I remember Brian Schrader had that big you know he was out in front of the Olympic marathon trials last year, and I talked to him. I thought he I was like, man, you know, well, no, I was thinking when I was watching the race, man, he ran like an idiot. Why the hell would he do that? Like he dropped out or whatever. But I talked to him after the race. He's like, well. No, I kind of figured that was going to be my best shot. To, if I'm here to make the team, like sometimes you talk to these guys, they do have some. There is a method to their madness. Sometimes it doesn't always work out, but I think that out by, that run by Albertson worked out just about as well as it possibly could have. The only time I remember it being better executed was Meb in 2014 when he won the race. He broke away with Joff, Joss Fat Boyd. And they had a similar. They weren't going. Actually, I'm trying to think. He ran 208. Maybe he, his first half was around that time, but. That's the only more successful example of this I can remember. He did great. John, I remember when I was a wannabe Olympic runner, training in Flagstaff, I'd wake up, watch the Boston Marathon, get all pumped up, then go out for my morning run probably about noon. I went for my morning run about noon, regardless of the day. But And I would, you, I would just be like dreaming like dreaming. I'm like, okay, I'm going to win Boston someday. I don't know. We're all delusional. And I never kidded myself that I'd be running next to, I don't even know who was running back then, Paul Turgot and out kicking him at the end. It would be like, I'll sneak away. I'll get the lead on the Hills. They won't know. And I'll win it. And 
the other crazy thing you learned is Vincent Capruto said he did not know that CJ Albertson was ahead of him until they caught him. So this was his best chance to win the race and he executed it. Let's run nation. We'll have to come up with a rule though. If you take the early lead, sometimes you're viewed as a joker. So how far do you need to keep the lead or is there like a finishing time you need to finish under to prove that, you know, it wasn't just total joke. I think if you're still in the lead halfway, that's definitely beyond joke territory. I think maybe 10 or 15 K is sort of the cutoff. You know, if you're running enough to have a big lead at 10 or 15 K, the Boston marathon, you have to be pretty legit. Who was the Dartmouth triathlete that one year, John? Uh, Glenn Randall. He was not a triathlete. He was actually a skier. An NCAA champion skier, but also good cross-country runner. And yeah, he was wearing a power bar, a gray power bar onesie. I'll never forget that. Okay, talking about the race itself. I mean, Benson Kipruto, well then kind of confused him with Seifu Tura earlier. It's, again, this isn't a guy who's a huge name in the world of marathoning. Now, he was one of the few guys in this field who had come in in good form. He had won the battle of the teams in Prague earlier this year which is one of the few marathons that happened this spring. But his last time he, you know, he ran Boston back in 2019 and he was only 10th in that race. His marathon career before this was nothing crazy. He just basically gotten a little bit better every year. And then by 2019, he runs 205 in Toronto and he's 10th in Boston. 2020, he was seventh in London, a field that had a lot of good guys in it. Then this spring he won in Prague and now he won in Boston. So he's he's now 30 years old. He's not, you know, he's been in this game a while. He just hasn't been at the very top. And I think that's kind of a trend we've seen. Cisse Lemma, Seifu Tura, and Benson Kiprudo. None of these guys have been sort of kicking ass for the last few years. They've all been pretty good and now they get their major victories this fall. Yeah, the point I was trying to make earlier about his time winning the battle of the teams in Prague was that time sort of misleading because they had this team concept. So it wasn't, that race wasn't set up to be a two Oh five type race and they had some good talent. So he was in form this year. And the other cool thing about this is his brother is Dixon Chumba, a former what Chicago winner. He won Chicago. He won Tokyo twice and he finished second behind Benson in Prague earlier this year. So they went one, two in the battle of teams. Dixon ended up dropping out of Chicago on Sunday, but Benson made sure that the family got a win on Monday. I just looked up Chumba's stats in Chicago. He was 63-33 at halfway. Leaders were 62-29, made it to 25K and then dropped out. But I, I you know, t- t- and you know, on, on the women's side too, John, Diana Kipyukai, I mean, she coming in, um, well, I mean, if you, if you think about Caputo, I mean, you guys are talking about what he's done, you know, Prague before Prague seventh in London last year, 10th in Boston. But what I was going to say was, guess who was eighth in London, LA Kipchoge. So he did beat Kipchoge last year, but altogether, all these results this weekend, just make me appreciate Kipchoge because we kind of have a bunch of random winners. There's not big names that, you know, coming through as the favorites or anything like that. And, that's just the marathon is super competitive this this fall it's a little bit diluted because there's so many races so we're going to have some random things it's hard to predict but Kipchoge for 
I don't know. You could tell me, John, how many damn years in a row it's been. Just every time, except for that one London race last year, like he's in the race. You know what? The, you know what's going to happen. And it's just amazing. Yeah, he's he's so much better than every other marathoner in history. It's totally absurd. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Of uh, you know, I, I which person do you think is more likely to be a big name moving forward? The women's champion Diana Kipyoke or Benson Caputo? I, I would say Kipyoke just because she's younger, 27, versus 30. She's only run, this was her third marathon. She won Istanbul in her second marathon, 222.06. Her first marathon was 222.07. What do you guys think? Oh, definitely Kipyoke. You know, hearing her talk in the press conference afterwards, she still seemed new to all of this. And I think she can improve a lot. Whereas like you said, Kipruto, you know, he's been running, he's been getting better, but she's younger and has less marathon experience. So, and just a note on pronunciation, I get on Robert all the time for saying stuff wrong. So I'm going to give him credit now for saying it right, because her name in world athletics is Kip Gay, And in her bib, it says Kip Gay, But then, the BAA in their post-race press release, they spelled her name Kipyoke, and they said that's actually how she prefers to be referred to and how she prefers to have it spelled. So Robert's been respecting that and doing a very good job. So congrats, Roger. So her bib was incorrect and had a G on it, but it actually is a K. Is that correct? That is what the BAS, the sorry, what the BAA said after the race. Yes. Can we get the bibs right beforehand? Like I feel like. It's a lot of these African runners usually. The names are wrong. Like that's a basic thing of common decency. What name would you like to go by? How should we spell it? How do we put it on your bib? Maybe some of the responsibilities on the agents as well, but let's let's get this right. The winner of a world marathon major's name should not be wrong. I guess now we need to go correct it in our articles because it's still spelled wrong there. But it's just it's one of the difficulties uh, of our sport, I think, is some of these names that people aren't used to pronouncing, that sort of thing. You know, people who are kind of come out of nowhere to win these majors. You want, you know, tennis would want Roger Federer and Djokovic and Nadal playing in every final and the Williams sisters staying 25 years old forever and winning everything. But that's not how it works. But let's get the names right. Well, I think some of these athletes are just sort of reluctant to correct the race organizers or anything. They'll just hear their name pronounced. And sometimes, especially Ethiopia, their English might not be that good. And they just like, oh, yeah, that's fine. But like Lemmy Bahanu, who is, was second in this race and who has won Boston in the past, he has three names, Lemmy Bahanu highly. And throughout his career, I think when he won Dubai in 2015, we were calling him highly Lemmy. Now he's Lemmy Bahanu. And no one ever knows what what names to use for him. Forget the John, the Ethiopian names we can butcher forever. I'm just going to have to make that rule. I was afterwards. I was trying to figure out what to call him as well, but the Kenyan names, I think let's just, let's, let's get those right. All right. There's a few people we haven't mentioned that deserve some praise. 41 year old Edna Kepa got, by the way, I've had lunch with her in Kenya. Now living in Boulder, Colorado, comes through second place. Amazing run, 225.09. So smart. She's like Rob. She knows how to – she's like the Jenny Simpson of the marathon. She knows the course. She's good at, at you know, maximizing her effort. So many people are blowing up 
Um, you know, like on, on the men's race, I actually was intrigued because Jeffrey Karui, who you said, John, didn't told you he wasn't in great shape. He was in the lead at 35K. I'm like, oh, he looks good. Reminded me of that year when it was snowing and he was up front again. I'm like, oh, he's going to do it. He looks so good on the course, but he just didn't have it the last 7K. But Edna Kepikot gets second. Um, Mary Najuji, who used to be married to was Sammy Wanjiru's wife, um, she gets third. But there was a name there, and we didn't talk about it on the podcast last week. Netsunet Gudetta, the woman's only half marathon world record. We totally kind of forgot she was in this field. And when I was making my predictions on Sunday morning for the, again for the contest, which again I won my Heps group, I beat Jonathan Gold. So who's the real pundit? It's myself. I picked. We had an option of any Kenyan, and I was thinking she might do well. And I'm like, this field is so wide open. I'm going to pick any Kenyan, any Ethiopian. I picked any Ethiopian for the win, and I picked Edna Kipagat for second. So when Gudetta got up there, I was so pumped. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to win the whole contest. But in the end, she faded. But she went for it. She ended up fifth, 226.09. But the other name that we have not mentioned, I mentioned was the sixth placer. Nell Rojas, top American. She's really had an amazing fall. I mean, she won the U.S. 10-miler, crushed, uh, outkicked Jenny Simpson there, runs a PB here in Boston, 227.12. You know, her dad is... Take, is that the meet? Is that the race? Taking videos of her. He's a former 15K world record holder. And she kind of came to running late. She used to be like in the triathlon and stuff, right? So it's just a cool story. Congrats to Nell. She's been running amazing. Yeah, Kip, Kip Legault's phenomenal. Mother of five. Now, three of those were adopted, but still pretty incredible. And she won. I mean, she won New York in 2010. How many? How many athletes who were winning majors in 2010 he's still competing let alone finishing second in the boston marathon and she said she wants to keep going so why not nesita i don't know how i missed her on the start list i think maybe it's because her personal best is only 229 she's run two marathons neither of them went particularly well she doesn't actually hold the half marathon world record anymore for miss Gen- for women's only robert that was broken last year by Perez Chipchichia, but she is the 2018 World Half Marathon champion, so clearly a huge talent. Yeah, Nell Rojas was was amazing, and listening to her talk, she seemed like she thinks she can do a lot better. I think Boston is a course that will do will she'll be doing well on, but she seemed like she didn't really know how to run it. She was like, "Well, I wanted to run. I was just going to think it was going to go out hard, and I was going to hang on the pack and hold on." But then she found out, no, that's actually not how it goes. Boston is a very fartlicky race. You know, it can be up and down. And she found herself in the front, which she said was actually, you know, it wasn't ideal because she never leads, but she has a fairly long stride. And so she was like, well, at least I wasn't getting my stride clipped. But it sounded like she learned a lot from the race, how it goes, what the course is like. I kind of expect she'll be back and could do even better in the spring. Really impressive because she only, the only reason she's running, she was a triathlete for a number of years was she never totally gave up running because obviously you still have to run for the triathlon, but she was going to do an Ironman. And in preparation for the Ironman, she ran CIM in 2018 because she's like, well, I should get used to running a marathon distance. She runs 231 in that race. After that, she's like, oh, yeah, that's way better than anything I was going to do in the Ironman. I'm a runner now. She's continued training, 
for last year got better and better. She beat Jenny Simpson at the US 10 mile champs. And then she finished as the top American in Boston, just as I predicted. You guys aren't giving her her proper due. It's unsponsored now, Rojas. That's how you have to refer to everyone if they don't have a sponsor. And the singlet thing, I said $20,000 if you win the race with the Let's Run singlet or T-shirt on. We should probably have, like, first American. We should just, what, like, $2,000? Now, I'm not sure a T-shirt is, like, do you have to follow the IWF rules or not? Like, we got a lot of, it's, the Let's Run is pretty big. But I her bib was covering up everything in Boston anyway. I think she actually had a Tracksmith singlet, but you couldn't really see it because Tracksmith doesn't sponsor her. But we should just do what Tracksmith did, but we'll actually pay you. We'll actually give you cash if you're wearing our stuff. But we, we need more racing gear, I think, for that. But great run by her and sort of believing in yourself. I assume she's had some offers by some sponsors and hasn't taken them. I wouldn't assume that. Well, she's doing great. All, all these like wannabes who are sponsored, she's done it the hard way. Top 10 at the trials doesn't surprise me. If you're top 10 at the trials, I mean, the U.S. Women's Trials is very competitive. You can be the first American in Boston, but this was another good run by her. I mean, she was doing really well with the shorter stuff this year, which is a first for her. And it's interesting because if you did well in Boston this weekend, guess what? You can run another Boston Marathon in five months? Six months, yeah. So many of them will be going back. Somebody who probably will not be in the 2022 Boston Marathon, though, is someone we've not mentioned, and that is Miss Jordan Hesay. We were talking last week about how we were hoping to see a step in the right direction. This is a 220 marathon or in her prime. She's been well over 230 in her previous two marathons. You talked to her new coach, Pete Julian. He's like, look, he was honest. Jordan's not the you know 220 Jordan, but we're hoping to see a step in the right direction. He sort of indicated to you, John, that she might be in. 225 midship type shape, like somewhere under 230. And instead we had an absolute disaster. She goes out, falls off the pedestrian. I mean, it was like they were on 229 pace. She falls off that in the first 10 K or so ends up running 241, 43. She, was beaten in this race. Well, I guess they technically weren't in the same race, but Shalane Flanagan, to put in perspective how bad this is, Shalane Flanagan, who is retired, is running six marathons this fall and ran the Chicago Marathon the day before, ran 240-34. So Flanagan beat his sale, although they technically were, one was in the elite race, one was in the mass race. There's no way to say other than just complete 100% disaster, right, John? Yeah. I mean, she and she knows that as well. She said after her race in New Haven, I guess that's a warning sign in, in retrospect because that was a disaster. She called it probably the worst race of her life. And then on Instagram after this race, she said she really appreciated the support from the you know the Boston crowd and everything like that. But she was very candid. She said it's been a rough two years of racing and it's time to hit reset. You will not see me on the roads for a while until my heart and mind are ready. So please run your hearts out for me in the meantime, and I'll enjoy being a fan. I think that's the right thing. I mean, she just she hasn't run a good race in years. Whatever she needs to do mentally, physically to reset, I think that's probably a good thing. Again, she's only thirty. I Robert always says talent goes never goes away. 
I'm not totally writing her off in a couple of years from now, but she's not going to be doing anything relevant for the next you know, year or two. And I think that's probably the best for her. She needs to figure out what's going wrong because she's with a good guy in Pete Julian who is, he's a successful coach. You know, he coached Siguro Osako to the Japanese record in the marathon. He knows what he's doing and he's, you know, he said that there's signs of progress and then this was a, a disastrous race. So I don't know, but this, she's got stuff to figure out and I wish her the best. Should we quibble with that, John? I'm sure some of the Mary Kane supporters are going to say Pete Julian knows what he's doing with men, but not necessarily women. He was there when, I guess we'll get into that later. I mean, I think Pete's a good coach, but you said he's a good guy. I think you meant good coach. Some people would say that some people think that Pete should be fired for his association with Salazar. Pete and Mike, Mike, I mean, look, I don't know the guy that well. In my experience, he's always, and some of the other guys in the sport tend to think of him as a good guy. But, uh, you know, yes, he was part of the Nike Oregon project while a lot of these allegations against Mary Kane were going on. Sure. I, I wasn't trying to make a big deal about that. I just wanted to correct that. But I think Jordan got something wrong here. And she says, you won't sue me for a while until my heart and mind are ready. I don't think this is mental. I don't know what it is. I mean, she's running basically 20 minutes off her PB. So that's like 45, almost 50 seconds a mile slower than what it is. I mean, it's another stratosphere. I was trying to like put this in perspective. Like my marathon PB, 223, what is that? Like just over 525 pace. So if I'm running 615 pace, like that's not even fast. So she's running so much slower. But I just, I don't think that that's, it can be mental when it's that far off. I think there has to be, I don't know what it could be. That it could be that physical. Like, I mean, I'm assuming they're checking her iron levels and stuff like that, but this is like another level. I, I think she should probably take three, four months totally off, maybe even six months, no running. If it is some sort of endocrine thing system and this is, people are going to hate this, but I feel like back in the day, you'd go see Dr. Brown to see if, if the body could reset. What's the point of bringing that up, though, Robert? Doctor Brown's banned. We know he's a bad guy. What, like, I don't know what you're trying to get at there. I'm not saying I'm not implying something negative with her. I'm just saying I think her body is wrecked right now. I don't think it's her mind and her heart. I think her body is completely not ready to run an elite level. That is an interesting theory because Ryan Hole. That basically happened to Ryan Hole. You know, it kind of basically happened to Alberto Salazar as well. They pushed so hard in their training, and Jordan is someone who does that, that they de- their testosterone they pu- basically totally depleted it, and they, they were done earlier than they should have been. I don't know, you know, obviously testosterone levels are much lower in women. I don't know, but that could be something to that theory, Robert. Of course her body's wrecked, Robert, but she still needs to get her mind in the right place. It might have been in her contract. She still has to race. I was wondering like, why is she doing this? But now she's just saying, like, look, I'm going to take a step back from the sport. John says I'm not allowed to root for people. I'm rooting for Jordan say. She said she wants to be a fan, and Jordan has always been a fan. She understands what being a fan is about. She said well, my dad loves the message boards. She gets criticized on there. There's always going to be stuff you don't like on Let's Run, on Twitter, on Instagram. We moderate it, but she gets it. Like fans are passionate. They say stuff. So I'm rooting for her. And for the record, uh, we can't say anyone's a good guy anymore or a bad guy. Maybe we should. Maybe that's the message. We're all sinners. We're all whatever. But 
back when I was running, Pete Julian was regarded as a good guy. I mean, if you want to, but the, the, I guess with all these statues coming down, maybe that's stupid. We'll just evaluate everyone on Jordan says run this time for the marathon. Pete Julian coaches these athletes. That's all it should be these days. All right. Last week, I think on the Friday 15 bonus podcast, we talked about Shailene Flanagan going, going for the back-to-back double. So it comes out that she's going to run all six world marathon majors this fall, including Tokyo as a virtual race. And at first I thought it was a PR stunt. And then I'm like, wait a minute, she's got to run a marathon like basically every weekend. And then we realized she's going to be running Boston and Chicago on back-to-back days. And this fascinated me. I became into it because first of all, she was running the times pretty fast. I think she ran 238 in Berlin, then 235 in London. And then she went out slow in Berlin, went fast in London. So she's going for it. And I'm like, wait, we've never seen anyone run marathons back to back days. What is possible? So John, we were you and I kind of were thinking 235, back it off to what a long run pace would be. We were like, can she run under 250 both days? And I both think we eventually predicted yes, but we said not under. I forgot if we went farther than that. Anyways, she does better than we expected. I think 246.39 in Chicago. And then does she slow down the next day? No. 240.34. Yeah. I was very, I mean, I've been impressed by this whole thing. I was already very impressed by Shalane's career, one of the greatest ever American distance runners. But she's run four marathons in 16 days, Robert 238, 235, 246, 240. So three of the four races, she would have qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon in 2020. And the other one, she missed it by 139. Now, even if you admit those standards were soft for qualifying, she went ran well under the Olympic marathon trial standard uh, in three of the four races. So for a guy, that would be like running well under 219 for an American man four times in 16 days. You could say the men's standard's a little tougher, so maybe it's it's not quite the same, but it's it's incredible what she's done. I'm really, really impressed. And excited to see what she can do in the virtual race and then in Tokyo, in uh, New York to end it out. Well, I don't think it's anything we're close to running 219. But yes, it's impressive. But I got to admit, I'm a little bit less impressed because it came out late last week. We found out that Jordan Trapp was going to run three marathons last weekend. And Baltimore, where I live on Saturday, Chicago on Sunday, and Boston on Monday. And there was talk that he could go under 230 in all three. We looked up his PBs. His PB was 225. I'm like, there's no chance. How could you? I mean, we were thinking the third marathon, he DNF or run over three hours. How could he possibly go for it? And this guy absolutely was amazing. I mean, Hats off to Flanagan, but double, triple hats off to this Jordan Trop. His PR, PB is 225. He goes out in Boston and in Baltimore here, where this year they didn't even have water stations. You had to carry your own water bottle. And I saw a clip on the local news. He was carrying his own damn water bottle. So I don't know if he had to stop and fill it up or if he had his wife gave him one or what. 227.23. Goes for it. I'm like, okay. What's he going to do in Chicago? Goes out even harder in Chicago. Fades a little bit. Runs 231.54. Goes to Boston. You're like, okay, the pain. What's he going to do there? Went out again, well under 230 pace. Holds on and runs 232.13. So the average is 230.30. 
That's unbelievable to me. I mean, I guess we're, we're finding out it's not as hard as we think if Shailene and him can do it, but if you had asked me ahead of time, no way in hell did I think anyone with a 225 PB could run three marathons in 230 in three consecutive days. I think it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal accomplishment, but the, what I don't understand, Robert, is maybe you haven't done this on the podcast as much, but you've certainly done it in our conversations. You keep using his accomplishment to degrade and devalue what Shalane did. You're saying just because he's doing, they have different goals. She's just trying to break three hours every time. This guy's trying to run as fast as possible. And you're saying you're not impressed by her anymore because what he's doing is even more impressive. I just think it's ridiculous that you need to drag her down. They're both great accomplishments. Can we just celebrate that? How dare you, John? I never did that. I never did that. On the message board, on the live thread, I was posting her splits and her splits, and I was more amazed by his splits. And John's like, why are you comparing them? I'm like, why am I comparing them? Because they're both doing something, but he's running three races. His PB is slower than hers, and he's running all three faster than she ran any of her splits. So She's 40 years old, and she's been retired for two years, Robert. I get that. He's a medical resident who's got a full-time, who's, who's studying. I just thought, I, I don't know. Like, and I just thought what he did was more impressive in the short term over these three days. I didn't say hers. I've been amazed by her too. But for some reason, you got mad about me comparing them. I thought we were supposed to treat men and women equally. And I am. I'm more impressed by what he did this weekend than hers. But he's he's never been an elite man. It, this is interesting. I'm sure some people say you're mansplaining of sexism, blah, 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 blah. Rojo back to his old ways. I don't know. I, my world, though, was rocked because at one point someone started a thread saying they thought Shalane had dropped out in Boston. And I was just like, what? I couldn't believe it. I was just I was judging her so differently. I'm like, uh-uh. She she has to she she had to finish like she can't drop out like I just was like my worldview on her changed so much I'm like I thought she would just drag herself across the finish now there's some problem with the tracking or they're looking at the wrong tracking place she finished both good accomplishments and I was wondering like hey with Shalane okay she, I was more curious on the two days back to back and maybe Robert's saying look this other guy did three days so maybe it's not quite as hard as we thought. So I'm like, okay, now there's nothing left for her to do. She's got a virtual marathon in New York. No, no, no. But now I want to know in New York, she's got nothing after that. She's got to go all out for that one. Like how fast can she run? I agree. I want to see her starting with the elite women in New York. And I want to see her chase them down and beating in some of them. I think that would be amazing. 2017 champ, Shalane Flanagan. Oh, that's, that's what I want. Put her in the elite field in New York. Great idea, John. Yes, elite field. That's what we need. Because her time would qualify her, right? I mean, there's no question about that, I think. Who cares about the time? She's freaking Shalane Flanagan. She won in 2017. Like, yeah, put her in the elite field. You don't need a time to say, you know, she should be in there. And also, Robert going off on this Jordan guy, he's just not elite. You don't know who he is. It's even like... When I don't know, Wardian was doing some of those stuff. Yeah, he's an ultra guy and all this stuff, but I'm like, these are aren't it's just not the same when it's if LA Kipchoge was gonna run twelve marathons in twelve days, I'd probably pay more I'd pay more attention. Well, she's not elite either anymore. But she used to be, she's a name, she's people who know she how she was. If Kim Kardashian was running the marathon, I'd be more interested than if some rando off the street ran the marathon too. 
I see what you're doing, but I think Let's Run is about the celebration of the average hardcore runner who's just doing it because they love running, not necessarily because they're a pro runner or famous or whatever. So I thought this was a cool story. I was celebrating it. And then John got mad about me for like even posting his splits on the same thread where Shailene Finnegan's splits were. John's like, do not touch anyone in the Bowerman Track Club. I am their PR publicist. <laughs> No, it's because every like half the time you bring up what his inc- Jordan's incredible accomplishment, you have to slap Shalane with a backhanded compliment. You're just saying like Jordan's doing this. Oh, and by the way, this is what Shalane's doing. Like, why do you need to bring them up and compare them constantly? Can't you just appreciate they're both terrific, unique accomplishments? Silence means no, John. Silence means no. Let's keep the show rolling. Let's keep the show rolling. All right, well, now we have to go to the sad portion of the podcast, Weldon, because we have two topics that we haven't addressed yet. One was shocking news this morning. Wednesday morning, we woke up. Agnes Tirop was appears to be murdered. The 2015 world champion in, the, in cross country was found dead with stab wounds in a 10. She was 25 years old. She had just set a women's only world record for 10K last month. It just... I don't know. She was fourth at the Olympics. She was the bronze medalist at Worlds in 2017 and the 10,000 meters and in 2019. She's one of the best distance runners in the world. She hadn't even gotten started in the marathon yet, but I talked to her agent, Johnny Demadonna, and he said he thought maybe one day she could have run, you know, very fast, 216 even. She's a huge talent. And to see that extinguished is just a senseless attack. It's just devastating. It's really sad. I don't know really what to say, but when you, when you sent me the text this morning, you're like, have you seen this? And I was just like, wow, just terrible. I mean, any death is sad, but when someone is murdered at the age of 25, I think, it's just so sad. That's someone's daughter. That's someone's sister. That's, and she's obviously a great runner and part of the running community. And on Let's Run, we, we we try to celebrate runners throughout the world, but we don't we don't know like all, all the Kenyan runners as well as we know the, the U.S. runners, and hopefully people can you know maybe we can do this too, sort of pay tribute to her life because it's just extremely tragic. Yeah, Athletics Kenya released a statement saying that you know the husband is the her husband is the prime suspect that hasn't. You know, as far as we know, there haven't been arrests. There haven't been any. That hasn't been confirmed yet. But it's just a. It's a very sad story. Terribly sad. I mean, she won World Cross. I was there, Guiyang, China. She was 19 years of age, youngest winner since Zola. But speaking of team phenoms, I guess that leads to a little awkward transition here. But Mary Kane, who was a teenage superstar in the United States, has filed a $20 million lawsuit against Nike and Alberto Salazar for sort of mishandling her career, causing her to get injured, intentional infliction of emotional distress, etc. Portland Papers reported this on Monday night. There's a big discussion on Let's Run about it. And... I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm trying to think of the big takeaways here. I think most people sort of believe Salazar treated Kane really poorly. It was a horrible match. They should have never been together. But I think also a lot of people think 20 million. What are we talking about? Um, 
I've got a few thoughts, but what do you guys think? I think that the way Alberto Salazar treated Mary Kane and during her time with the Oregon Project, from all accounts, was pretty terrible. And was that worthy of a $20 million lawsuit? I don't know. I guess that's for the courts to decide now. I would just like hope. I was hoping that with her release, you know, her talking to the New York Times last year, that Mary will be able to move on from this saga in her life and put it behind her. And it seems like she has done that in many respects. And it's kind of a, you know, I suppose it's unfortunate. It might be unfortunate for her to see this continue to drag on as part of her life, but she clearly feels like she still needs something from this situation. Wow, we go live on the air, and John's take is a little more couched, I would argue. I think a lot of people maybe do that a bit. But uh, what do I think? Yes, Alberto treated her poorly. Some of the stuff, if they want to go to trial, I want it all to come out. As a journalist, with if it wasn't a human part of this, and I want Mary to be a success, successful an adult or human being, we want that for everyone, if she can. So, you know, you don't want to drag it out and really bring someone down. But if she can deal with the trial, I mean, uh, just to really know what happened on both sides as a journalist would be fascinating. I don't think Alberto Salazar is the reason Mary Kane was not a successful professional athlete. His goal was to make her as a successful professional athlete as possible. He did a poor job with that. He treated her poorly. Darren Treasure wasn't certified pushing i don't know if it if with the prescription drug stuff like what was pushed there but i remember i've said it on the podcast someone we need to run transcripts of all these things but i remember saying like isn't nike worried about a lawsuit they let this guy do whatever he wants pushing prescription drugs what if somebody sues and 20 million is going to get someone's attention i don't i'm not a legal guy i don't know what's going to happen it sounds like a bit of a money grab she wouldn't have made 20 million in her career, but if it's like the McDonald's thing that sort of deter people in the future, that's a different thing. But I don't think there's punitive damages in, in this type of thing. I don't, it's not a class action. So I, I'm not the legal thing. Should Mary King get $20 million for how she was treated by Nike? Personally, I say no. Was she treated poorly? Yes. And do we need more accountability? Yes. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that, but I guess my overall take is, one, I'm sad that we're here in the sense of, well, one, I, I've always, I love, I don't like big corporations. I've always wanted someone to sue Nike. So in the one level, I'm happy for that. But I guess my main thought is I am sad that we're here. This couldn't have been prevented because I remember when she was going pro thinking, should I call her father and just tell her about the accusations about Salazar? And it had nothing to do with really in this lawsuit of, the fat shaming and the stress fractures and et cetera. It was all about the drug allegations, but I'm like, does her dad know this? And that's kind of what this allegation the dad gets. It's like, we thought he was going to the best. And instead it's this guy doing his crack, crack, his crack theories. And she's, her career has been ruined and we need the money. And I didn't reach out to her father, but it's interesting to me because I'm like, okay, if you're going to sue Nike and Alberto, you know, they could also, why aren't they suing Darren Treasure as well? Because to me, in the lawsuit, I've, I've read it. He comes off as the worst. She, she talks to the psychologist, who's not really a sports psychologist, and then he tells Alberta what she says to him. Isn't that a violation of patient confidentiality? That seems weird to me. Um, 
you know, did did her agent ever worry about Alberto and get and this stuff? But I don't know that 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 part is, is tough. Um, but I feel like we could have prevented this because we we all knew this was seemed. I don't know. Like, do you really want to go to Alberto as this hardcore guy's got these drug allegations as a sixteen year old? But then again, she was getting paid a lot of money. And if it does go to trial, that's going to come out. Nike's going to be like, look, we are paying this woman multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars to join an elite track and field team. We're sorry it didn't work out, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, and I've talked to some agents about this. I've talked to a lawyer about this. The lawyer said it's really hard to improve intentional emotional distress, inflicting that because the bar is really high on that. And I don't think, do I think Alberto intended this? No, he wanted Mary Kane to kick ass and be a dominant runner. That was his goal. Do I think he was a complete asshole? Absolutely. Do I think he's willing to be fired for what he did to her? Yes. Um, because he didn't handle all he wasn't equipped to be teaching a, a, a teenage woman. But, you know, I'd said in the past, though, in terms of the lawsuits, I'm like, couldn't Ethan Ritzenheim sue him this cancer thing when he's taking the supplement that was, that was proven to cause cancer? So, you know, it's kind of interesting to see this lawsuit. I would love to see the contracts come out. I doubt it goes that far. But um, I agree with Weldon in this sense. The weird thing is, the saddest thing to me is, Mary Kane apparently thinks that Alberto Salazar ruined her career. I don't think that's the case at all. Whatever happened to Sarah Baxter? Do you guys remember Sarah Baxter, same year as Mary Kane? She was winning Nike NXN every year. She was beating Mary Kane every year. She won two NXNs. The third year, she gets second or third, does absolutely nothing in Oregon. Whatever happened to Claudia Lane, two-time Foot Locker champion? She, you know, goes to Dartmouth, doesn't do anything there. So we've seen this time and time again. Teenage women's prodigies do absolutely nothing at 18, 19, 20, just like Mary Kane. But the difference is they just know it was part of their body changing and they didn't have no longer had the body capable. Alberta tried to force her body to be something it wasn't capable of doing. And I think Mary Kane wouldn't have been elite anywhere where she went ultimately. What we've never seen though, is someone who was already world-class sort of fall off like this, but she doesn't know that, but will a jury understand this, the nuances of this? I don't know. That was a betting man. I bet we don't get to a jury. This one is so tough. I need to go through the timeline. The first time I saw Mary Kane, I'm just forgetting about this. She was a kid. She had a stuffed animal with her in the mix zone like called snuggles or something. And I was like, holy crap. Then I hear she's going to Alberta. And I'm not sure if there was like a year later or what the deal was. I need to go through the timeline, but uh, the fact she's so much younger, when was she a legal adult, that sort of stuff. But there's no way that kid should have gone to Alberto Salazar. And there was probably one place you were actually hearing that. And that was on the let's run.com on our forums. Our forums have gotten a little heat from Molly huddle on this thread. There was one post saying, why would, why would men coach women? sort of making a broad thing like, hey, you're opening yourself up to lawsuits. It was reported, broad generalization, put a bit, should have been deleted, but you're going to get that on any sort of form, stuff you don't like, but also I think you get stuff exposed. We keep trying to improve the moderation, but that's a separate point. Back to Mary. Oh, man, it's just t- tough. The fact she was a kid, the stuff looks so bad, cutting. She was cutting herself. They did nothing. Now, I think it came out in a podcast that the cutting was Mary was taking the pins from her race bib and cutting her leg like in front of the coach. Now, to me, that's very different when I first heard cutting. But none of this plays well before a jury, so I don't know what's going to hap- happen. 
But I think that the whole thing is very unfortunate, right? When Mary Kane burst on the scene, she was winning U.S. senior national titles as a teenager, making the world's final. The hope was she would go on to be the next great American star. Some people said, hey, that may not happen, right? I think that should have been couched in her head somehow, but you can't tell someone that. Alberto's not going to take her on to say, hey, you may not be that good. And one thing I saw was some thread there, like, Alberto, he pushed her so hard. He was so cautious with Rupp. That is not the case from what I remember. I remember I was training 2001, 2003. Rupp was in high school. I was running the 10,000. Alberto's group had a lot of 10,000 guys hoping to move up to the marathon. And I remember talking to them. These are pros. And they said, this kid will never amount to anything. Alberto pushes him too hard. At the end of workouts, just sort of like collapsed on the track. They're like, there is no way this guy can have a long career. This is about a male, Galen Rupp, who's been the most successful distance runner of the last, what, 15 years? So I think it's fascinating. Elite distance running is not pretty. It's very tough to begin with. Even for successful athletes, you could almost take some stuff to the jury and be like, oh, this is cruel. This is abuse. Alberto obviously went outside of those realms. I'm not trying to excuse his behavior. But I think it's fascinating. Look at all these things combined. Most likely, yeah, probably doesn't go to trial. Does Nike file some papers in response? One good thing was it'll be a warning sign in the future to these groups. You can't just let someone go unchecked. That's the good that's going to become of this. Nike should have been putting some stuff in check in Alberto. No, I'm sorry. You're not a pill dispenser. You're, You're not a pharmacist. Go see a doctor. But all this weight stuff, and that's just a whole nother realm that's part of the sport. You shouldn't be fat shaming. There's a way to do this stuff properly, and hopefully coaches of all sexes learn how to do this better down the road because of this. That's what I. That's the biggest. my biggest hope from this whole situation. Well, then, Alberto's not the first distance coach to weight shame his athletes or to promote an unhealthy culture with regards to weight or body image. It happens at the college ranks. Should all of those coaches be sued for $20 million? or those institutions, I think that's a little bit of an overreaction. But my hope is that by drawing attention to this and you know, with Mary speaking out to the New York Times a couple of years ago, they can create positive change and get a healthier, better discussion about body image and about weight and you know that this leads to positive change within the sport. Yeah, it's sad. The whole thing is sad. I don't know. Maybe if you like, it could get thrown out on a technicality. And reading it, they were trying to like, put in some words, it was clear that the statute of limitations for some of the stuff could have passed. So there's ways to get around that. One thing I did disagree about the website was like, it was saying that like he treated her differently because of her sex. No, I think the problem was he treated her exactly the same as he would have been a man. Like you're too fat. And I don't actually think he was wrong about the weight. Mary, I think it's like, I will never be an offensive lineman. I think once Mary matured, she probably never was going to have the body type needed to be an elite top of the world top five person and that's just reality now Alberto was trying to force her to have that I don't think that was going to work and I think him forcing it did probably speed up her decline if anything but have you guys ever thought I've never heard of I've heard of athletes suing like I mean I've never heard of like a professional NBA player NFL player suing a team and getting any money I've occasionally heard of medical malpractice 
you know, where they blow your knee surgery or whatever. But I don't remember a team being sued for manhandling, you know, for for mis- misplacing a career. So it's it's kind of interesting. But as well, and I have said in the past, we did think like, couldn't Ritz sue them for this? So someone's doing it. So on the one hand, I don't know. I've been sort of wondering about a lawsuit, but on the other hand, I'm like, twenty million when you voluntarily didn't go to college, you could have gone to Stanford, you could have done what you wanted to do. But it doesn't condone the way she was treated because it it was abysmal and terrible. Um, so I, I think that you know maybe she should say if I get a big settlement, I'll, I'll give a certain percentage of it to charity or something like that, make people feel a little bit less better about the money aspect of it. Who knows, Robert? One point you said you thought Mary Kane ultimately didn't have the body to be a top top level pro. And that may have been the case. I've actually priced side with you. But the thing is, we don't know. We'll never know. You can't take Alberto Salazar out of the equation. She obviously thinks he's the reason. I agree with you, Weldon. And that's the thing that I think is the sad thing is I don't think Mary Kane would have been elite no matter who was coaching her. But Mary thinks Alberto ruined her career. And that's a terrible thing to never know, to, to wonder what I could have been. The whole reason why I got back into running after, after not running at all in college was because I thought, well, I don't want to be 60 years old to wonder what if. And I knew you were pretty good, so I wanted to give it a go. And she thinks Alberto ruined her, so she's filed this lawsuit. And I find that sad. I don't really think, to be honest, that his mistreatment of her caused this. But I can see why she doesn't know that because – what he did was wrong. Your body changes, you get bigger and you've got to just accept that for the time being train properly and see if your body naturally goes back to, you know, if, if, if it, by getting in shape, if you, you know, can be through hard work, be an elite, one of the very best people in the world. There's only three people on the Olympic podium and that's really hard to do. I mean, I can say I want to be an NFL offensive lineman and lift all the weights in the world that I want to do. And that's just not going to happen, I don't think, with my body. And I, thankfully, I don't have to blame anybody else for it. I just know I just didn't have the right genetics. And it's really hard for these women. And, you know, as a teenager, you're a phenom. You're told in the New York Times you're going to run 350 in the 1500. You're expecting world records, and it goes south. Alberta should have realized she was not out of the woods yet. So many college coaches have told me, you've got to be ready for the change. Try to have them stagnate for a year or two. Their body may change again, or they may just get used to it. They get stronger, more in shape, or whatever, and can handle it. But, um, yeah, a lot of coaches, I think college coaches aren't really ready for this. Alberto was not ready for this. His behavior was unacceptable. And hopefully from this, coaches, a lawsuit scares people, right? So hopefully, as we said, coaches will be more responsible going forward. And also, coaches, athletes, parents, they'll be prepared, more so for girls than women, but some top men don't turn out well either. But hey, there's might be some changes with your body. There might be a couple really down years. You got to be ready for that. And hopefully, we, there's just so much we don't know about this, and we can learn from this. Well, that's what I was trying to say, was like, a coach didn't ruin Sarah Baxter, a coach didn't ruin Claudia Lane, they didn't ruin German Fernandez. So we've seen this before. Her In her case, it's just, there's like someone to blame, and you know, they may be paying the price. We'll see. I mean, Alexa Ephraimson, she didn't make a world's finals. She wasn't winning U.S. senior titles as a junior as a junior athlete, but she ran faster than Mary Kane in high school, right, John? Yes. And look at her now. So we'll never know. And so I, I, 
can you you can't really fault Mary for searching for answers, but I think the twenty million probably rubs some people the wrong way. All right, I think that's going to do it for our supersized Chicago Boston recap edition of the let's run.com track talk podcast shockingly we have no major marathons this weekend we do have the dallas cowboys trying to beat the new england patriots for the first time since 1996 is that i can't believe that stats true you haven't beaten a different nf this nfl team since 1996 i don't know if we need to go into the preview here but I, i guess this is probably the first time since i've rooted for the patriots where this is even a possibility where i even thought we could lose to the cowboys John, we don't play that often. And this game, as a Cowboy fan, it's just pretty easy now. We're in a really bad division. I live outside New York, and New York fans were talking good. I wasn't even worried about the game last week. And I just, the game this week, sort of same thing. I mean, Bill Belichick, he's got some stuff going for him, but I'm just like, okay, the Cowboys, we should beat a bad team. Every team in our division is bad. We should beat the Patriots and just sort of keep on winning. I'm not convinced the Cowboys are that great, but our schedule is pretty bad. I've seen the NFL odds. They're under under 15 to 1 for the Super Bowl for the Cowboys now, John. If we get under 10 to 1, look out, look out. I'll get your money in now, well then. I would just say both of our teams played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Both of us, those games came down to the wire. Both of us lost. I don't know. I think the Patriots will probably lose, but I hope it's, I hope it's a good game. Where's the game, John? In Foxborough. Oh, great. You're inviting us up for the game? Thanks. Uh, you guys are welcome to stay at my apartment if you guys foot the bill for the tickets and parking. So, yeah. I thought you went to most of these games, John. I don't know. My inn at Gillette Stadium is dried up, unfortunately. Well, I sent dad that I sent Jonathan's dad that free Let's Run shirt last year, knowing the Cowboys <laughs> are playing, hoping to get the free box. I even bought John seats to the Ravens game, Ravens-Patriots game. Uh, didn't work out. But we do have this weekend, there is some running action. The pre-nats is Friday. So we can talk about that on the Friday 15. Until then, Robert Johnson signing off. You got 30 seconds. You want to be a better runner? Get better electrolytes? Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. Get a free sample pack. Six different flavors sent to you. Only $5 shipping. I'll refund your money if you don't like it. Electrolytes without the junk. No sugar. It's great. Try it out now. You can check it out on your phone. Literally 30 seconds. And while you're on your phone, sign up for the Supporters Club. Let'srun.com slash subscribe. Become a Let'srun.com VIP today. Save 20% on running shoes. Get an extra podcast every week. Subscription pays for itself.